Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Broadcasting around the nation, on your radio, on your TV, and online. This is The Bill Press Show. Donald Trump is at war. No, not with Kim Jong-un. He's at war with Rex Tillerson when it comes to North Korea. What do you say, everybody? they got to settle that war before they start another one. Good to see you today on a big uh, Thursday. Thursday, August 10, uh, it is The Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. I hope that's what you're looking for, because there you are. And we're glad to see you today. As we come to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, pretty quiet town these days with the House and the Senate and the POTUS out of town. Um, but uh, there's still a lot going on, and this is still sort of news central, uh, where we will bring you up to date on all the news of the day and look forward to hearing from you about what it all means to you. Yes, indeed. Uh, the words of uh, the fiery language continues to to um, blast out toward North Korea, not only from Donald Trump, but from his defense secretary yesterday and his White House aides, who insisted that they agree with what the president said, even though um, they don't necessarily agree with the words that he used, which they're trying to excuse now, saying it was just shooting from the lip off the top of his head that he didn't even give it 30 seconds thought before he blasted out the fire and fury, as if that is any comfort to know that this is how the president does business. Yes, indeed. Uh, Other stories. Paul Manafort got a little pre-dawn visit from the FBI, raided his house and took away his files. Uh, Evidence that the Mueller probe is ratcheting up indeed. Donald Trump. Firing back at Mitch McConnell. Now we got a pissing contest between Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump, which is which is great. And if you looked up over Washington, D.C. yesterday, over the White House, over the Capitol, over the Lincoln Memorial, you might have seen a plane with a hammer and sickle on it, a Russian plane over Washington. We'll get into all of that. But first... This is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. Oprah Winfrey helped kickstart Weight Watchers. Remember, she partnered with them a couple years ago and helped sort of bolster their brand. She is branching out. She has partnered with Kraft Heinz Company to release a line of refrigerated comfort foods called Oh, That's Good. Oh, of course, for Oprah, she always does this. So she's going to have four soups and four sides that will retail for $4.99 each. And she says, I love healthy foods and eating from my garden. I want to make nutritious comfort food more accessible to everyone. So you'll be able to see these in your refrigerator section at your grocery store later this year. So you just pick them up, keep them in your refrigerator in case you want a snack. And nuke them when when you're ready to, to eat them. 
you know, it'll work. Yeah, sure. I mean, look, people like Oprah. I like Oprah. I'm not going to buy uh, her refrigerated foods, but, no. you know. But, hey. but yeah, there are enough people who will. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Yeah. You mentioned the Russian spy plane here in uh, yeah. America yesterday. We'll have more on that. But also, if you looked at the White House yesterday, you didn't just see the White House. You saw a giant inflatable chicken with a Donald Trump haircut. Protesters got onto the ellipse of the White House and inflated a gigantic chicken ah. with a haircut that <laughs> looks just like Donald Trump. We're going to tweet this out at BP oh, Show. Sorry, I missed that yesterday. It is, I mean, it's huge. It's a huge uh, uh, inflatable <laughs> chicken. It's hard to miss. People were pointing out that this is sort of a security risk because it's like 15, 20 feet tall. And it's on the ellipse right there at the White House. So if you were looking at the White House, there was no way that you didn't see a giant inflatable chicken with a Donald Trump haircut. Well, more importantly, if you were, though he wasn't home, but if he were in the White House looking out at the South Lawn, I'm sure he would see the big chicken. I was going to say, that is my one great disappointment with this story, is that yeah, Donald Trump yeah. is probably never, ever going to see it because he wasn't there. And I'm sure that his aides will not show him this. No. And no. I don't think, you know what I mean? So... But it's a good site. So maybe these guys can get up to Bedminster. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Try getting close to that golf course. Have giant inflatable chicken. will travel. Uh, yeah. You know, the reporters are 12 miles away. Oh, my God. Yeah. This is the Bill Press Show. Donald Trump says fire and fury. Rex Tillerson says, hey, relax. Everything's going to be okay. All right. Which is it? Which is the message out of the White House? Hello, everybody. What do you say? On the Thursday, August 10, so good to see you today. The Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. That's it. That's me. And that's you. Good to have you with us today as we wind up here. For the next two hours to bring you all the news of the day, which with some great guests today and a lot to talk about on this sort of a quiet Thursday in Washington, D.C., with the House out of town, the Senate out of town, the president out of town. God knows where Mike Pence is. Who cares? Uh, But at any rate, there's still lots going on, particularly the war of words so far. And that's uh, we can be grateful. That's all it is so far uh, over North Korea. Uh, Also, a war of words between Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump about who should be blamed for the failure to repeal and replace uh, Obamacare. We now have a pastor jumping into the debate saying the Bible gives Donald Trump all the authority he needs to bomb the hell out of uh, North Korea. I guess that's the same God who talked to George W. Bush and said, You have my permission uh, to invade Iraq uh, as well. Paul Manafort, the president's uh, former campaign chairman, testified in front of the Senate Intelligence Committee toward the end of July. Uh, The next morning, he's still in bed in his jammies, and the FBI banged on the door, came in, took out his files and his computers, raided his house, uh, and said, uh, we want to take a look at all of these financial records Uh, indicating that Robert Mueller is more serious than ever. And that that little uh, that little Russia investigation 
is not going to go away. So those are the top stories we're looking at this morning. And uh, with our guest, Alexi McKinnon, will be joining us from uh, Axios. She's the one who's been uh, covering North Korea for uh, Axios. Peter Fenn, Democratic strategist here as a friend of Bill for the entire second hour. And Peter and I will be joined by uh, Jordan Fabian. Jordan Fabian, who covers the White House for The Hill, He's been spending a lot of time up in Bedminster, New Jersey. Uh, They don't get very close to the golf course, but uh, to the extent there's any activity up there, uh, any news conferences. um, The other day, Tom Tom Price and Kellyanne Conway briefed reporters on the opioid crisis. Yesterday, Sarah Huckabee Sanders briefing reporters on um, trying to defend and trying to explain what the president meant, meant with his fire and fury comments. Um, so Jordan Fabian, who's been on the scene, will be here uh, in studio with us uh, to tell it all about it. Yes, indeed. Uh, you know, a couple of stories. Before we get to the war on uh, North Korea, there's another war a little closer to home here up in New York City. Mayor de Blasio has declared a war on rats. Yes, New York City is uh, going to be spending $32 million to reduce the rat population in New York by 70%. Now, uh, I can't with this story, man. I I don't know how many rats that they figure they have, right? But whatever it is, if it's, how many people live in New York, Peter? 10 million? Let's say 10 million. I honestly don't know. I mean, there are probably 20 million rats. (laughs) (laughs) Two rats for every resident of New York? I think so. I think so. Yeah. If only somebody figured out a way to eat rat, right? You know, it wouldn't be such a problem. But at any rate, I didn't want to think about that. I actually have an answer to your your question here. All right. Uh, In 2014, there was actually a scientific study that took a look at New York City's rat population. Yes. And And they estimate. Oh, God. All right. They Uh, estimate that there are 2 million rats in New York City. Oh, 2 million. Oh, okay. The population is 8.4 million. 8.4. So approximately. 25% 25% yeah. of the number of humans that, that right. to, to rat. Okay. And the mayor says that they're especially going to be focusing on uh, the Bronx, Chinatown, the East Village, and the Lower East Side in Manhattan. The East, I don't know why the East Side would be. And the Bushwick and Bedford-Stuyvesant areas of uh, Brooklyn. Uh, it's nice to know that the theater district, Midtown Manhattan, is not included because that's usually where I stay. There you go. And that's where CNN is. You want to go to New York. That. Don't have to worry about that, right? Um, but it's getting so bad that um, up in some of the parks, Central Park and in Riverside Park, people are reporting rats are everywhere, and they're so aggressive, this is scary. They even jump into baby strollers to steal the snacks. I'm uh, Oh, get me out of I'm here. Gonna vomit. No, that's get me. terrible. Yeah, can you imagine? Pushing a baby stroller a baby, and a rat jumps in jumps with your in. baby? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, they could nibble on the baby. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, anyhow. All right, so all we got to say is, Mr. Mayor de Blasio, good luck. Yeah, I mean. 32 million to get rid of the rats, right? Holy crap, man. Yeah. And uh, the other thing we have to say to Mayor de Blasio is, is uh, after you finish the war on rats in New York, you can come down to Washington. Yeah, come on down. Yeah, come on down. But Washington's, Washington has its uh, own problem as well. 
Hey, uh, you know, we'll tell you all the bad news every day. We want a little good news. We have been uh, trying to track and have talked to uh, you, uh, you, you regular people on the show. No, we've talked to people from the DNC and other Democratic strategists about efforts to really focus on governor's races and state legislative races next year, this year and next year, how important that is because the state legislators are the ones who are going to, for the most part, uh, redraw the district lines in 2020 after the census in 2020 uh, for reapportionment for, um, for districts for not only state houses, state senate, but maybe most importantly, members of Congress. And we know that uh, because of the efforts of Carrove particularly uh, and the so-called red map strategy when George W. Bush was in the White House, um, they focused on state houses. The Democrats did not. Barack Obama did absolutely nothing about it. And under his eight years, we lost 950 legislative seats that flipped from Democrat to Republican. And so today, uh, we're left with about 65 out of 95 state houses that are Republican and 35 out of 50 governors that are Republican. Tom Perez and Keith Ellison at the DNC are starting to fight back and identify um, and focus in on state Senate and state House seats. Uh, had reason I mentioned that is big win yesterday in Iowa, out in Iowa's 82nd House District. A Democrat by the name of Phil Miller. Congratulations to Phil Miller. Phil Miller beat his, Repu- his Republican opponent uh, it was, um, eh, you know, not a landslide. Uh, Phil Miller got 4,020 votes. His opponent, 3,324 votes. But notice, right, this is a House district. Notice how few people vote, but how important it is. Because, again, he will be a vote on drawing the district lines in Iowa. And this House 82 in Iowa, this district, is in the southeastern corner of Ohio of Iowa. This is a district that Donald Trump carried last November by over 20 points and the Democrat won it. So, ka-ching, you know, good, uh, good work on the part of, and the DNC was involved there. Um, you know, in those races, it doesn't take a lot of money, right? You're not talking about like $35 million for Georgia's sixth congressional district. This is a, a house district, very, very important. State House District, very, very important. I don't know what they spent. I'll bet they spent maybe $10,000, $20,000, and they picked up that House seat. So this has got to be the focus, and I'm glad to hear that they are, they, they are at it. Meanwhile, the big story, of course, has been the continuing blowback to Donald Trump's comments yesterday, uh, day before yesterday, about North Korea. Let's hear it again. Here he is. He was uh, had a little brought the reporters in. He's sitting around the conference table after getting a briefing on opioids. Uh, and he is asked about uh, North Korea and the tough words. Remember, we're talking a verbal conflict here, right? He was, t- he was asked about the tough language, the tough words coming out of Kim Jong-un, uh, our dear leader in North Korea. And Donald Trump says, ha! I can talk tougher. I can talk tougher than that. North Korea best not make any more threats to the United States. They will be met with fire and fury 
like the world has never seen. And, and he's, he, he, re, he repeats it. he ask again, and he says, as I just said, fire, fury, and power. He has been very threatening uh, beyond a normal statement. And as I said, they will be met with fire, fury, and frankly, power, the likes of which this world has never seen before. Whoa, whoa, everybody said, holy crap, are we going to war with North Korea? If, if, if we're not at war, it's at, we're, it, it, we seem to be right at the brink of war, maybe even nuclear war with that kind of language. Um, never heard from any American president since uh, Harry S. Truman, who said almost the same thing back on August 6, 1945. But as many people pointed out, that was said at a time when only the United States had nuclear weapons and the day, uh, the day we had first used a nuclear weapon uh, against Japan at Hiroshima. Um, so um, kind of re- reckless language. Uh, Democrats and Republicans in Congress uh, condemned that reckless or at least raised questions about that uh, reckless language. Yesterday, in defending it, the White House said, oh, no, 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 don't take that too seriously. That was just off the top of his head. Uh, that was just impromptu. Oh, well, let's relax. Yeah. The problem is, this is a guy who's capable of doing an impromptu push of the nuclear button, right? In other words, this is this is a this was not a policy. This was not thought out by the White House. This was not something they worked out together, which again, every other White House would have done. Ronald Reagan, Dwight Eisenhower, Bill Clinton. Barack Obama, George W. Bush, his father, George H.W. Bush, is consult with his national security advisor. Now, what are we going to say about North Korea? The White House is admitting they never had that conversation. Donald Trump uh, was not part of any planned strategy. He just shot from the lip. And that's that's scary. That's who he is. That's how he's running this White House. That's how he's running his 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 uh, his 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 foreign policy. Um, and by the way, at the same time, other members of the White House, uh, of the administration, at least one, Rex Tillerson, are singing a different tune. The State Department uh, spokesperson yesterday, what's her name, Heather Nauert, um, she said, oh, in the administration, we are all singing from the same hymn book. No, they're not. So you got Donald Trump, who's saying fire and fury, right? By the way, James Mattis, the defense secretary, um, he's been a kind of a calm, calming presence so far. He's a guy, for example, on the transgender thing. He says, we're not doing anything about that because Donald Trump. So so what? He tweeted, but that doesn't mean anything. So Mattis has been, I, I thought, somebody we could count on. He's to supposed to be a level head. A level head. Yeah, that's, right? that was the whole rap on <laughs> Mattis. Is like when well, Democrats voted to confirm him, he was going to be the level he head. He didn't show it yesterday. He basically echoed Donald Trump. He told North Korea. He warned them they have to cease any consideration of actions that would lead to the end of its regime and destruction of its people. And he said that if North Korea tried anything, they would lose any arms race or conflict it initiates. So that was Mattis sort of echoing Trump. That's a polished way of saying exactly what Exactly the same thing, right. Rex Tillerson, in the meantime, Secretary of State, came out and said, quote, Nothing that I have seen and nothing that I know of would indicate that the situation has changed in the last 24 hours. Americans should sleep 
well at night. Okay, that's a good, calming voice. That's a nice message. Yeah, the problem is he's not making the decisions. Exactly. He yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah. I've never been a big Rex Tillerson fan, but, boy, that's the kind of voice we need right now rather than Donald Trump, who is just trying to one-up uh, in terms of fiery language, one-up Kim Jong-un. Uh, what do Americans think? Out in California, here's one guy. He owns, this is unbelievable. So um, there are still, believe it or not, these stores left over from the Cold War, I guess, where people can get bomb shelters or buy goods and, and products that they want to store in their bomb shelter or in their basement in case of nuclear war. So I, I actually have a little bit of insight into this because <laughs> I have a family member who uh, is uh, who is a prepper. Uh-huh. Who's a full-on yeah. doomsday prepper? Yeah, and he has camping gear. He has a bomb shelter. He has a year supply worth of food that will not go bad in his bomb shelter. He has iodine pills that you take because it's going to keep the nuclear uh, waste from absorbing into your system if you take these iodine pills. Like people are crazy. Mm-hmm. People are totally crazy. Does he have videotapes of his favorite TV shows? Like he could watch for a whole year. <laughs> You know what? I don't know. I don't think so. It would, it would a lot of board right. games. Yeah, there's there some board games. There's Sopranos. You yeah, know, sure. All, yeah, yeah, right. You you wanted to do that you Netflix did. binge? You might finally get your chance. Exactly. Yeah. So this guy, his name is Ron Hubbard. No, not that not one. That Ron Hubbard. Not that one. Not the nut who founded Scientology and gets a tax break, which they should never get because it's a phony religion, fake religion. Uh, <laughs> at any rate. Another, Ron Hubbard, owns this bomb shelter store in California. Man, rush on business. Rush on business yesterday. There was a line of people out the door here buying every shelter that we could, we had. And we basically have nothing left at this point. <laughs> Sold out. Sold out. In California. Yeah. Well. Well, look, if, if we're going to get bombed by North Korea, it's going to be that coast it's first. It's the front line, guess, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. So there just, they are. Man, I wonder what people are buying there, right? Yeah, I'd love to know. But. Well, like they have uh, like these types of stores, they have like those ready-made meals that will that will last forever, right? Like uh like MREs. Mm-hmm. Uh and they have, you know, all kinds of weird camping gear if you can't, in case you have to get out on the move and you have to camp out in, in in the wild and they have the actual bomb shelters and so, oh, Yeah. Man. My advice is <clears throat> don't waste your money on that, but at any rate uh, uh, so the, the other reaction yesterday, um, uh, yeah, this is comforting. A pastor, Robert Jeffress, he's a, a mega church pastor uh, from Texas, of course, uh, one of Donald Trump's spiritual advisors. He put out a statement yesterday saying that actually uh, Donald Trump was uh, absolutely right. Anything he said about North Korea, he said that God has given Donald Trump the authority, has given him the authority to bomb the hell out of, uh, of North Korea. Here he is. I believe the Bible gives President Trump the moral authority to use whatever force necessary, including assassination or even war. Yeah, yeah just, what, just uh, what the Bible teaches. Yeah, that's, that's what I got when I read the Bible. Bomb the hell out of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you wonder, okay, where did he find that? Did Jesus ever really say that? Well, uh, actually, no. He says that St. Paul says it. 
Paul had not lost his mind. He knew what he had written in uh -huh. chapter 12. But when he comes to chapter 13, he's not talking about individuals, but about government. And nowhere in the Bible is government commanded to forgive or to turn the other cheek. Uh, yes. So actually in Romans 12, uh, Paul, uh, St. Paul writes, do not repay evil for evil. Just the opposite message. And then in Romans 13, Paul writes, uh, or Jeffers says, what he says in 13, gives the government the authority to do whatever, whether it's assassination, capital punishment, or evil punishment, to quell the action of evildoers like Kim Jong-un. Isn't that nice? Way back then, St. Paul knew what was going to happen today and gives the government the authority that that is total crap. That is not the message of the uh, New Testament, certainly not the message of the New Testament at, at all. And, and, and at one point, um, some reporter asked Jeffers yesterday, so do you believe that Donald Trump should follow the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount? And he said, absolutely not. <laughs> no, absolutely not. In other words, just repudiating, repudiating the message of Jesus doesn't apply when it comes to Donald Trump. This guy's a nutcase. You, you're, you're somewhat of a theologian, Bill. You, well, I have a degree in theology. Yeah, yeah you know what and you're I know the scripture, about. and he's full of. Can I? But say you don't it? remember the the oh. scripture, eye for an eye, tooth, tooth for, for a yes, tooth. Yes, right. Nuclear warfare when someone says something mean about you. Assassination yeah. and capital. That's punishment. in the Bible, right? And Am I misreading that? And capital punishment. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. <laughs> so start nuclear war because somebody said something mean. Yeah. Right. Uh, there it is. So that continues, and God help us. Uh, hope things cool down before uh, either one of these hotheads, Kim Jong-un or Donald Trump, do something that we will regret uh, for the rest of our lives. Meanwhile, the other, the other little war going on, and it's back again this morning, is the war between Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump over health care. First of all, in health care, we got to play this. Ron Johnson, the governor from Wisconsin, uh, trying to explain yesterday how they failed uh, in Congress, in the Senate, how the Republicans failed to pass, repeal, and replace. Well, he blames it all on John McCain and on John McCain's brain tumor. I'm not going to speak for John McCain. Um, you know, he, has, he has a brain tumor right now. That vote occurred at 1.30 in the morning. Some of that might have factored in. Oh, oh man. man. God, that's oh, disgusting. With friends yeah. like that, huh? Right, exactly, yeah. Yeah, if the poor guy didn't have his brain tumor, yeah. you know, he might have cast a vote the other way. Yeah, John McCain cast the correct vote. Ron Johnson did not. But at any rate, the little war between Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump is just fun to watch because it started a couple of days ago, Mitch McConnell giving a speech down in Kentucky where he said uh, that, and he was saying, don't blame us for not getting this done. And part of the problem, he said, is that, that, that President Trump put some deadlines in there, artificial deadlines, uh, that they couldn't meet. Uh, here was a sort of blaming Donald Trump, Mitch McConnell. Part of the reason I think that the storyline is that we haven't done much is because, <laughs> in part, the president and others have set these early timelines about things need to be done by a certain point. And uh, so you would think that would just pass, right? Is this Mitch McConnell being Mitch McConnell? Oh, no, 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 no. Donald Trump yesterday fired back 
Eddie says, uh, his tweet yesterday, Senator Mitch McConnell said, I had excessive expectations, but I don't think so. After seven years of hearing repeal and replace, why not done? Why couldn't they get it done? Which is a good question, but again, here's the president who is counting on Mitch McConnell to do this, who gave, by the way, Mitch McConnell no help at all in try, in getting it done, just getting in the way, really, Trump did. He didn't go out around the country and rally people and try to get votes. No. He just kind of said, okay, Mitch, you got to do this when they failed to do it. So he comes back after Mitch McConnell. Now, you would think after that exchange, that would be it. Oh, no, no, no. Donald Trump cannot stop. He cannot let up on something like this. He's on it. So early this morning, yeah. first thing on the iPhone, Donald Trump going yet again after Mitch McConnell. Yeah. I mean, we're in the middle of a conflict with North Korea. Right. And Donald Trump's yep. priority this morning is tweeting this. Can you believe that Mitch McConnell, who has screamed repeal and replace for seven years, couldn't get it done, must repeal and replace Obamacare? That's his, that's his tweet from this morning. Right. Carrying it over from yesterday, and just to keep, uh, just to keep digging, it, uh, digging it in a little deeper. Uh, so we'll see what Mitch McConnell has to say about that uh, this morning. Uh, and finally, i got to mention Paul Manafort getting uh, an unwelcome visitor the morning of July 26, which was um, the morning after he testified in front of the Senate Intelligence Committee, uh, knock on the door at his house over in uh, Alexandria, Virginia. They were FBI agents. This was a pre-dawn raid. Uh, we found out yesterday uh, they swooped into his house and took away files, documents, computers, all evidence of his financial dealings when he was chair of the Donald Trump campaign uh, it tells us a couple of things. One is that Paul Manafort is definitely a target of this investigation. And it also tells us that this Russian investigation, which Donald Trump would like to get rid of, is in fact ratcheting up. It's not going away. It's getting more and more serious. Uh, we also learned yesterday, I think it's maybe in September, uh, that Paul Manafort and Donald Trump Jr. Uh, have been summoned to testify in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Uh, so uh, <laughs> this is going to continue. Senate Intelligence Committee, House Intelligence Committee, Senate Judiciary Committee, and then Special Counsel Robert Mueller with, don't forget, the grand jury that he has impaneled uh, to look into this. Uh, Russian investigation is not going away. From Axios, uh, Alexei McKinnon has been looking at all of the above, the Paul Manafort story and North Korea. She joins us next here on uh, the Bill Press Show on this Thursday, August 10. Stay with us. You got it. Thursday. Here we go. Thursday, August 10. Um, good to have you with us, folks, on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Looking at you on Free Speech TV, coast to coast as well. We start out in Washington, D.C., but we are everywhere with you in this great land of ours, on the radio, on television, and speaking of the radio, certainly joining you on the great progressive voice of the Chicago area, WCPT. Thanks for being with us, and uh, let's say hello to Alexa McCammon, who is a deputy news editor at the brand-new 
Axios, Axios.com, right? Yes, hello. Uh, doing a great job with our good friends, Mike Allen yes. and uh, Jim Vandehei, yes. uh, Jonathan Swan. Yeah, you, they're all stars. And so thank you. Who else is there now? I don't know, but anyhow. No, it's <laughs> Lots a good, of great folks. It's a good team. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. It we're is. growing quickly, too, which is exciting. Uh, we're brought to you today, by the way, by the American Federation of Government Employees, the great men and women who um, keep our federal agencies running every day, day in and day out, not only here in Washington, D.C., but all across the country. Of course, their regional offices under the leadership of President J. David Cox. Uh, we certainly salute them and thank them for their support uh, of the program. So, uh, Paul Manavard got a little knock on the door the other day, huh? A big knock, it seems. Yeah. Pre-dawn FBI raid uh, instructed by Bob Mueller's special counsel team, which I could think of uh, far worse, or sorry, far better ways to be woken up in the middle of the night than by the FBI raiding your so apartment. So why would they, th and this came the morning after he testified in front of the Senate Intelligence Committee. I mean, right, so what does right. this say, that, tell right. us, that he said things that they thought, oh, man, we better grab those documents, right? Well, or so there's speculation that this suggests that Paul Manafort didn't <laughs> turn over certain documents that were of interest. But Jason Maloney, his spokesman, uh, has emailed me saying, you know, not only confirming that the FBI raid happened, but that, you know, Paul has been cooperative throughout the process. And he argued that, you know, even during this FBI raid, Paul Manafort was very cooperative with law enforcement, meaning he turned over the documents that they asked. What we do know uh, that was different about this raid is that they collected tax documents and foreign banking records. So that's totally different than anything else mm. they had collected. And this also suggests that the investigation on Pan Paul Manafort is expanding, specifically looking at whether or not there could be any criminal charges against the Federal uh, Banking Secrecy Act, mm -hmm. which essentially requires Americans to disclose whether or not they have any accounts in foreign banks, which apparently Paul Manafort does, considering they collected these documents. Right. So, so it also tells us, right, that this investigation is not winding down. It's not. It's intensifying. And uh, I think Trump Ramping feels up, that. Ramping up, if I, anything. Yeah. Right, right. And, and expanding geographically. There was that grand jury that was established in Alexandria, I believe, specifically for Paul Manafort. Mm -hmm. Now we all know we have this new one in D.C., which is looking at Trump Jr. and Trump's family, his inner circle. Um, it's quickly intensifying and expanding and sort of cutting off oxygen, I think, from the White House and everything else they're focusing on. Right. Um <laughs> So that, that's why Donald Trump is talking about um, about pardons, maybe, because he sees right, <laughs> he right. <hears> footsteps. <laughs> right. I think and we can clearly see this uh, this increase in pressure felt by Donald Trump because of this investigation getting closer and closer to him and his inner circle via his tweets. Mm -hmm. Right. He, he goes on these frequent Twitter rants these days early in the morning, which isn't necessarily new, but the frequency of them and, and how quickly they're happening is new. And um, just the way that he's talking about the pardons, the way that he attacked Jeff Sessions, you see him lashing out in these various ways. And to me, that suggests he's feeling this increased pressure because of Bob Mueller's investigation. Uh, we don't know how the FBI operates, but it does seem that, I mean, this idea of like raiding his house pre-dawn you know, rather than just like calling his attorney and saying, these are the documents we want, please turn them over, right? Right. Or please bring these documents down to our office at 10 o'clock this morning. We'll have right. a little meeting in the conference room or whatever. I mean, this this is right. Well, the way you go after um, 
uh, a terrorist or <laughs> yeah, it's you know, very some serious criminal movie like or dramatic. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But the, but the they were acting on a search warrant, which again suggests yeah. perhaps Paul Manafort wasn't as cooperative, cooperative. as we've been told. Mm-hmm. Right. So there was also a story this week earlier that, and I think the president's attorney confirmed this, that while publicly he's been condemning this Russian investigation and saying, and the Manafort investigation, it's the biggest witch hunt we've ever seen. It's all fake. There's nothing to it at all. Uh, They all just shut it down because there's nothing there. That he's been sending little private notes to Robert Mueller, little love notes to Mueller about how much he appreciates the work that he's doing, how fair he is. It's so bizarre. (laughs) I I think that's the only word I can use to describe it. I mean, it is, isn't it? It's bizarre. But then if you take a step back and think about everything we know or we think we know about Donald Trump based on his past actions, he's a schmoozer. He knows how to appease people and tell them what they want to hear, um, whether that's in a tweet or in person or in these sort of secret private messages between him and Bob Mueller. When I read that report, um, I don't know if it was Washington Post or The New York Times, about these communications between Trump and Bob Mueller, it, it read to me like, he thought sending these these you know little notes of affection or appreciation um, would coerce him into being nicer. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, don't know. It's, it's just hard to read. It because is. I, and if you're Mueller, I'm sure Mueller wonders what the hell's going on. I mean, I he just, turns I like on the to, TV yeah. and he sees uh, Trump accusing him of conducting this witch hunt, wasting right. all this time and all this money. Right. And then he, and then the secretary brings out, oh, we have a little note here from the White House. Right, right. Well, and <laughs> with also. A, with a presidential seal <laughs> on it saying, dear Bob, I just want you to know you're doing a great right. job. Love, Don. Right, right. I mean, also it goes back to what he harped on Hillary Clinton for during the election, which was this whole idea of public thoughts versus private thoughts. And this is a clear example of him having two totally competing public and private thoughts about something that is a very serious matter and that is quickly encroaching on his personal space, his family, his finances, and who knows what in the coming months. Who else is the um, uh, is is the FBI looking at the Mueller team? Well, obviously Donald Trump Jr. So that was the big news from the grand jury that uh, I think became quickly clear, right? It's not surprising that he impaneled a grand jury. That happened in Whitewater and Watergate. That's not surprising. What's surprising now confirms that he's looking at Trump Jr., uh, and his meeting with the Russian lawyer in June of 2016. Jared Kushner was also there, so he will likely be swept up in this. Um, obviously, Paul Manafort. And the thing with uh, Watergate was that it sort of got to this point of, like, follow the money and you'll see what happens. And you kind of, we kind of see that happening with Paul Manafort. Jared Kushner obviously has a lot of uh, financial situations that could be of interest simply because he's dealt with um, foreign contacts in those situations. So the fact that they're looking at that same thing with Paul Manafort and and this Trump Jr. meeting suggests that Jared Kushner's finances could certainly be next. They're looking at Trump's finances. Um, and Michael Flynn? Michael Flynn, yes, yes. Uh, I think he could definitely be involved. I mean, again, to look to history with Whitewater and Watergate, those investigations sort of took on a life of their own throughout the process that no one, I think, could have truly anticipated in the beginning. And we've seen that in this past year alone with Bob Mueller's investigation in the past three months alone, especially. And I really think that in the coming months, we're going to see it 
end up in directions and exploring these sort of tangential things and people that right now you and I will look back and we'll say we yeah. couldn't have even seen that happening. Right. Uh, and it is one year now since the FBI's Isn't started. Isn't that wild? It's been yeah. so long. It feels like yeah, two I know. days. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but again, right. um, it, it, as we were talking uh, yesterday, I believe, about this, if there were nothing there, if they if they said, oh, this is a waste of time, right. they would not still be at it. Right. A year later, and in fact, and instead of again winding down, ramping up, and impaneling a grand jury, seizing documents, getting people in. Right. Uh, so right. Th- this is going to be this is going to continue for. Yeah, and I'm curious to see if any indictments will be. <laughs> issued or criminal charges, right? Because that's the whole point uh, of a grand yeah. jury. That's what they can Donald do. Donald Trump is curious to see that, too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, indeed. Yeah. From Axios, Alexi McCammon, Axios.com. Check it out. It's a brand new news site here in Washington, D.C. Already doing great stuff and making breaking a lot of stories and uh, making a lot of noise. Um, in fact, you can sign up for Michael uh, Mike Allen's newsletter. Yes, Axios AM, and we also have Axios PM now, which comes a- out around four or four thirty PM. PM. Yep. And then Jonathan Swan has the look ahead or yeah, sneak peek, sneak peek every Sunday, every Sunday evening, right? So um, an inside look at what's really happening in Washington. All right, those are the plugs here for uh, Axios. <laughs> Axios. <laughs> we can do it all day. Got that covered, yeah. All right, so we've got uh, several wars going on now. We have the war between um, Donald Trump and a verbal war. Thank God that's all it is right now between Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un over North Korea. And then we have the war between, it seems, between Donald Trump and Rex Tillerson over North Korea as well. So I'm like, who speaks for the – and I thought it was great yesterday that the spokesperson or whatever her name is at the State Department said, we we are of one voice when it comes to North Korea. They're not. No, they're not. And I'm so glad you brought up Tillerson because – he sort of tried to act as this translator in chief yesterday mm-hmm. for Donald Trump's fire and fury <laughs> comment for everything that you know the Americans need to hear moving forward. He made he made two kind of competing statements. The first sort of being good cop to Donald Trump's some say bad cop uh, when Tillerson said something to the effect of you know. There's no imminent threat coming from North Korea. Americans should sleep easy at night. Right. So it's kind of like, okay, that's not this fire and fury message that Donald Trump sent uh, the day before. But then Tillerson released an official statement that was that used language that was just as threatening as Donald Trump's, basically saying that you know the the North Korean regime would be ruined if they started an, Wasn't a, that a Mattis? war. Who said that? Oh, was it Mattis? Yes. I'm getting everyone right. confused. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Right. Mattis. So then Mattis, right? So that Ma- speaks yeah. to your point of like they don't have this collective no, voice. No, exactly. Tillerson right. tries to be a good cop. Donald Trump goes for that emotion. And Tillerson a couple of days ago said we are open to one-on-one negotiations with North right. Korea. You know? Right. Yeah. And then Mattis releases this statement that contradicts that. So if you try anything, we're going to wipe you out. Right. Right. Gonna... right. And your life, as you know, it will be ruined and right. you don't want to do this, basically. So yeah. it's very threatening. Um, and so we see these divisions in the way of handling it, which Nikki Haley has tried for diplomatic solutions. Donald Trump goes for the emotions and the thinking on your feet, improvisation. Tillerson tries to calm everyone down. Mattis comes out and is like, yeah, right. we will go to war. No, all these different, all these different voices. And then right. and the official response from the White House to the president's fire and fury. Let's hear it again, Peter. We just have to get just, just you know, fire and fury. North Korea 
best not make any more threats to the United States. They will be met with fire and fury like the world has never seen. Sorry, I like that was Putin's dog. <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> right, right. Putin loaned him his dog. The big... I still can't get over the visual of Trump sitting there, no. with his arms That's folded, cross. looking yeah. like Mussolini. I know. It's just so obnoxious. And Melania sitting alongside of him, saying, "Holy crap! <laughs> what have I done? What have I done? I know." Uh, <laughs> but he comes, so he comes out with that, and the official White House response yesterday is, "Oh." That was just impromptu. That was just off the top of his head. Right. We didn't, he didn't plan to say that or we didn't tell him to say that. This is, you know, as if we supposed to be comforted by that. Well, that was, I, I mean, well, this I, is right, right. Ma- the first, ma- first major foreign policy crisis of this administration. And right. Donald Trump is just winging it. Just winging it, which is political malpractice, especially when you're toying with nuclear war, but also considering last week when we imposed those sanctions on North Korea, that was a big, almost unexpected win for Donald Trump. It was diplomatic. It was uh, uh, establishing this positive, seemingly strong relationship with foreign allies in the fight against North Korea in a diplomatic and smart way. He was he was on the up and up after those sanctions. And then he just comes out and is like, well, I'm going to look at this opioids fact sheet and then maybe just speak off the cuff about North Korea. No, which... you're right. With the sanctions, think about it. I mean, they get it through the uh, the Security Council of the United Nations. No veto by Russia and no veto yeah, by that's... China. You know? It was incredible. I mean, yeah, that yeah. was truly a, a moment Donald Trump should have seized on because <laughs> it made Pardon him me. look really good and it made him look like a foreign uh, a leader who is able to foster these foreign relationships. And I mean, he I mean he had a pretty smart week in terms of foreign relations because um, Jonathan Swan at Axios reported earlier last week that Trump was going to make this sort of bombastic trade announcement last Friday that was characterizing our trade relationship with China as unfair, Mm -hmm. sort of um, putting this economic pressure on them to help us with North Korea via an official announcement that was going to really rip them apart. The White House delayed that announcement. They still haven't made it because this vote on sanctions was coming on Saturday, the day after they were supposed to make that announcement. So that was a really smart move politically not to one day bash China and then the next day expect them to vote in favor because if they had vetoed it, the sanctions wouldn't have gone forward. So it was really smart on the administration's part. It made Donald Trump look like he knew what he was doing. This, these sanctions passed unanimously was a big unexpected win for Trump again and then... It's like this week, we all forget about it. He forgot about it himself. Right. So we keep hearing from Nikki Haley and from others, uh, Mattis also in this case, that um, all options are on the table. Every time I say that, it makes me nervous, including, of course, the military option. Are they, I mean, which I think would be catastrophic, and we right. all know right. why, because North Korea would, of course, yeah. retaliate. Right. South Korea is right in us. Right. In, in the crossfire and right. uh, immediately. And now maybe Guam. I know. Right. That right. report came out late last night that North Korea is planning to <coughs> strike Guam by mid-August and then wait for Kim Jong-un's you know, message about what to do moving forward. Right. So if that strike is successful, he could likely say, yeah, let's keep going, in which case I think the U.S. would be left with few options but military action given Kim Jong-un has not stopped 
no matter what we've done. But even so, in knowing that that may be, I can't believe that North Korea would be dumb enough to strike Guam, free, uh, you know. Right. But but we're dealing with a nutcase over there. I think we're dealing with a nutcase right. here. Um, but I guess my question: so Is the administration? What do your sources tell you? Actually, seriously considering a preemptive military strike against North Korea, just, you know, as they say, some limited military targets, like we did against Syria. Right. Cruise missiles just to take out one little installation or something, just to send them a message. The administration has clearly been trying to send a message through these almost diplomatic means. Um, There's no indication at this time that they are planning on a preemptive military strike. We all know, and the administration certainly knows, and defense officials certainly know that that would upend American life as we know it. I I would argue Kim Jong-un knows the same for his life, his lifestyle, his regime. A nuclear war would change his entire worldview and day-to-day life in a way that he doesn't want. Um, There's also an enormous cost with nuclear war that, that the U.S. is not interested in taking on at this point, that Donald Trump is not prepared to handle at this point. I mean, 61% of people disapprove of the way that he handles foreign relations, according to a CNN poll from late last week. And and that's reflective of what the people are feeling. But what we're even hearing at Axios is that's sort of how his defense officials and generals and top-level White House officials feel about him as well. Um, Mike reported this morning that... All the generals meet daily in the White House and speak about these sort of seemingly imminent threats. And their goal or their one job is to rein Trump in, is to keep him under control. So they're smart enough to know that a preemptive military strike is not the way to go. Donald Trump maybe doesn't have the experience to know that. But when we are told that they're working together every day, we can safely assume at this point that that wouldn't be the option, a preemptive well, military yeah, strike. Let's just hope in this case he would listen to his generals, and we're not never right. sure of that. Um, right. You know, they, they uh, ignored him on the transgender issue. They have so far, at any rate. Right, right. Well, but then the Pentagon came out the next day, right, and said, we're not changing anything. Right. So, so that, that was, you know. So that's what's scary about this. I'm glad you brought that up, is that... The way that Trump announced that transgender military troops ban on Twitter was um, irresponsible from a policy perspective. And doing that with North Korea, right, towing this line of if you tweet something without thinking two, three, six times about it, it could have devastating effects depending on how North Korea responds. We were told at Axios that John Kelly is sort of offering alternative ways of wording tweets to Donald Trump. which is fascinating, Um, and hopefully that's what he's doing with the North Korea situation, but we've seen how he will take advice sometimes, and other times he'll just go it alone. But uh, you see why I I, I refuse to believe that, because, for example, Donald Trump's tweets this morning, right? Right. So that one on Mitch McConnell, Peter, was about uh, an hour ago, right? Yeah, a little over an hour. It was roughly around 6 a.m., 6.30 a.m. East Coast time. Yeah, a little right. bit after six thirty. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You can't tell me that right. Donald Trump, in his jammies, calls John Kelly and says, "I've got, I've written this tweet. Now, before I push send, right. I want to read it to you." That right. is not happening. 
It's that not, is happening not happening with every tweet, but I think <clears throat> he has certainly tried to offer some perspective on some things. But the, we know Trump's tweeted at three in the morning before. Yeah, There's no right. telling no, when he's going no. to tweet. So we can't be totally reassured by these reports that John Kelly is offering alternative ways of wording things. But I think it shows that this slight shift in the White House is happening. Kelly might be saying, you know, maybe you should have thought about putting it this way or that right. way or whatever. Right. Right. Oh, yeah, no, Trump is definitely going to pivot and change to be like a thoughtful tweeter and listen to somebody else's advice. I totally believe that. Yeah. Yep, totally. Or, or maybe 100%. not even tweet at all, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm sure he'll so, give that up. So first it was going to be Ivanka that was going to rein him in, right? Yeah. Right. And then it was right. going to be, oh, no, wait till Melania moves down right. from New York. Then it's all going to change, right. right? That's a good story idea. All the people, all the people who, were yeah. who thought were going to rein Trump Seriously. in and then and what now happened? now it's John and, Kelly. And, right. I think that the, I think that the most interesting little insight into into Trump's I forget who who tweeted this but somebody tweeted a couple of weeks ago that Trump has zero interest in being president he just wants to be his own communications director mm-hmm. right. and like once you realize that then everything else kind of falls into making sense because he he just he just wants to talk to the media right. and he just wants to blab and he just wants to communicate and he just wants to put stuff out there. He doesn't care about policy or communication like communicating a thoughtful idea. He just wants to be in front of the cameras and talk. And the Twitter is his that's medium. Yeah. Right. That's and, Trump and, TV. You know, he says what he claims 125 million or something like right. that. I don't a lot. No. Like did you see that video he put out yesterday on Twitter? It was <laughs> It was. Uh, I do have other things to do rather than follow down the no, on Twitter. I, I, know, I, just, I know, I know. But he put out a video of uh, of God bless the USA, that terrible Lee Greenwood song that mm. we were subjected to. Yeah, a lot of yeah. terrible sporting events. But he he put this out there, and it was all about God bless the USA, and it's all just pictures of him. Like it's oh, a little wow. clip show, slideshow, and every <sighs> single one of them, every single mm. clip, probably like twenty different little clips in the in the video that he, that he put out, is just him. Right. Not well, even doing necessarily patriotic things, just just being. Right. I so, think going back to your point, Peter, about Trump being more interested in being communications director and not president, there's a large looming credibility gap with Donald Trump that I think a lot of Americans see, a lot of people in the White House see. And how that's can the you say line. that only 73% of the American people, according to the CNN poll, <laughs> do not believe I anything know. coming out of the I White know. House? Seventy-three percent don't believe anything coming out of the White House. Right. Well, again, to our earlier point of not having a unified message on North Korea, when there are so many contradicting messages, how can you believe it? And then when Trump tweets something after the fact and it totally changes the narrative from what his administration says, I'm at a loss for understanding, and it's my job to understand these Uh, things. uh, Well, that gets me to something that I'm not time left, but I wanted to mention while you're here, which is Donald Trump asserts. That now, since he's been president the last 200 days, our nuclear arsenal has been totally rebuilt, expanded, and it's now bigger and better and stronger than ever before. Right. Which is simply not true. It's not. He was seizing on this moment of, like, there's a really strong news peg, so I'm going to make this claim. But (laughs) Obama... His uh, order for this nuclear arsenal, I'm pretty sure, had a 30-year timeline. Yeah, 30-year timeline, it's, right. It's, it will then be re- reevaluated, I believe, in 2022. Um, yeah. And also, Donald Trump's first order as president was repealing and replacing Obamacare. It had nothing to do with the nuclear arsenal. But now that it's a hot topic, it's all suddenly he did was his, base, his... All he did was basically say, we ought to continue the review started right. by Barack Obama, which right. will take 
let's just say 30 years, years and years and years and years to do. Right. So he just asserts that, and it's right. simply right. not true. And that's him trying to gain <coughs> credibility in a situation, I think, in which he recognizes he has little. Well, it's good that there are truth-tellers like Axios there to uh, call him on all of this. And, uh, Alexi, thanks so much for coming Thank in. Thank you for having me. Axios. Good to see you. Peter Fenn this joins us, Democratic strategist, friend of Bill, show. coming up next. Big war over North Korea, have you heard? No, it's not between Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un. It's between Donald Trump and Rex Tillerson. They can figure out who speaks for the administration. Hello, everybody. What do you say? It is uh, Thursday, August 10. This is the Bill Press Show. So good to see you today as we uh, take a big gallop through the big news of the day uh, here in Washington, D.C., around the country and around the globe. Uh, We'll take a look at it all. Kind of quiet in Washington um, with the House out of town, the Senate out of town, President out of town. God knows where Mike Pence is. I I think he's maybe in Bedminster, New Jersey today or yesterday. Playing golf. Yeah, right. (laughs) Having lunch with... uh, with Trump putting one meeting on his schedule so they can say it's a working vacation at any rate. Um, But we'll uh, tell you the news such as it is, and there's a lot of it to talk about, and then look forward to hearing from you and getting your comments on Twitter at BP Show. Joining us for this hour as a friend of Bill, uh, our good friend, Democratic strategist, president of Fenn Communications Group, Peter Fenn himself. Mr. Fenn, how are you? I am great. Everything As you say, the, 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 well, I guess quite uh, quite nice. Uh, enjoying time with my grandchild away from Washington for a good part of it, which is really quite nice. It's good to get away from Washington. It's it great to get, great away, from to get Washington. away from Washington. Just don't go to Guam. That's right. Uh, yeah. Anywhere else you should go check out. Um, right. Do you have big plans for the eclipse? No. Can you? Uh, I'll try this earpiece again. Yes. Um, Can you? You know, the eclipse, I'll tell you, uh, I have a great group of friends that are going out to Wyoming. Wyoming? They, well, they're going to go to Ground yeah. Zero for yeah. it. And I'll tell you, um, I think Oregon's anybody who thinks they're going to make it in Nashville, <laughs> it's going to you know, watch out for the clouds, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but. Uh, Salem, Oregon's a place. That's what, yeah, that would yeah. be, yeah. That's yeah. where it starts. It's ground right. zero, terrific. I know, yeah. Speaking of ground zero, no. Uh, no, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> All right, Peter's with us the entire hour. We'll jump into the, jump into the news, and then uh, Jordan Fabian from The Hill covers the White House, where The Hill will be joining us uh, a little bit later. But first... This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. Now, okay, we're going to go back to right after the election when Donald Trump named his White House communications director, a man by the name of Jason Miller. Yeah. Jason Miller did not last very long in that job. In fact, he never even he started. He never took the job. Right. Because a yeah. transition advisor by the name of A.J. Delgado announced on Twitter... Congratulations to the baby daddy on being named White House Communications Director, implying that Jason Miller had fathered a child with her. Jason Miller is married. He was married at the time. His wife gave birth in January to a new baby girl. Well, A.J. Delgado, the Trump transition advisor, has had the baby. And she spoke to Page Six. This is a different baby. A a different baby. baby. Jason Miller spoke to Page Six and says that this was a one-night fling in Las Vegas that resulted in a love child. Well, A.J. Delgado has fired back on Twitter saying that the story is false. They had a long-term relationship, that Jason Miller had lied and said that he was separated from his wife when he was not, and also said that Miller did not 
has not sent the child even a dollar or a <laughs> single gift or item. Reminiscent of Anthony Scaramucci, whose wife say, Scaramucci, gave right. birth and he wasn't even there for it. Nor well, why? He, he had to gift. go to the Boy Scout Jamboree. Yeah. yeah, I guess the priorities, you know. Sign his divorce Donald papers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just, I mean, look, personal lives are personal lives, but this is just like a little out of hand for yes, the, the Trump administration. What other... Quick, quick story. Yesterday, five active duty transgender service members filed yeah. the first lawsuit against Donald Trump's uh, tweet saying that they were going to ban transgender individuals from serving in the armed forces. <laughs> they did not name themselves in the lawsuit, but they said that they have uh, relied on the Defense Department's current policy to serve. And if that goes away, then uh, they are no longer protected. So a lawsuit has been filed. Uh, it, I find that curious. For, for, for the whole policy, the idea is just abhorrent. But since it hasn't kicked in and the Pentagon says they're really not going to do anything about it, I just wonder how, what the basis of their lawsuit is. But. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, here we go on a Thursday, August 10. Hello, folks. Great to see you today. Thank you for joining us and being part of the Bill Press Show. As we boom out to you nationwide from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., um, joining you on uh, YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show, looking at you on Free Speech TV. You're looking good in TV land today. And... Uh, on the radio out in the greater Chicago area, WCPT, the progressive voice of Chicago. Uh, here we are with all of you. Thanks so, thanks for joining us. And we join me in welcoming uh, here as a friend of Bill for the entire hour, Peter Fenn, head of Fenn Communications Group uh, and a Democratic strategist. Hello, Peter. Hello, Bill. Let's try to put politics aside for just a second here. You and I have been following just Washington presidency, the Congress, for a long time. What we're seeing today is something like we've never seen before, right? I mean, in terms of the way this administration... Yeah, I mean, the thing the thing is that's so scary, Bill, is this is so abnormal. This is so out of the... Uh, out of the box, crazy that you Whether know you're we begin to. Right, no, I mean I talk yeah. to a lot of Republicans uh, as yeah. you do. Yeah. They're appalled. I mean they're absolutely unless they're Steve Bannon <laughs> crazies, and they don't really have any sense yeah. of history yeah. or any real sense of what the heck uh, needs to be done. They're they're just scared to death. I mean they watch. Uh, him attacked, the president attacked Mitch McConnell, Mitch McConnell, who is no great friend of ours. But good grief. I mean, you're picking a fight with somebody who you got to count on to do things. This guy has not, this president has not a pragmatic bone in his body other than hitting the goddamn golf ball every other day. <laughs> I mean, this guy has, is a, a walking disaster. And the people around him know it. I mean, he thought about what he was going to say in North Korea. He had that written down. If you saw that video, it was right there. Now, who he talked to about it, I don't know. You know, but when he, when it's, whether it's transgender, policy or whether it's Korea or whether it's health care, this guy is an unguided missile himself. And I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen as irresponsible, uh, 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 a, certainly a president 
or even, you know, very rarely you get these crackpot members of Congress, Michelle Bachmans of the world, but they don't become president of the United States. Right. I mean, so we are in an era that if the press begins to treat this as sort of normal, report on it as normal, that this is just, well, it's just the way it is. No, it's not the way it should be. And, you know, can you imagine John F. Kennedy making a statement like that, uh, that he, uh, uh, North Korea, during the Cuban Missile Crisis? Can you imagine Dwight David Eisenhower saying that when we had the crisis in, in, in Hungary in 1956? You would have a nuclear war on your hands if you behave that way. Right. And, and I, I often think, what would George W. Bush, what, what must he be saying watching this guy, oh. right? I mean, we know... We know what he said about Donald Trump's inaugural address. Right. That was some weird SH, right? Uh, But what would he be saying now? Look, look, friends of mine who work for Bush are are apoplectic. They talk to the former president and, and you know, they they feel the same way. This is not normal. And the American people thought, well, we don't want normal. But they thought, you know, we want not normal good. This is not normal, very bad. And now uh, more and more people, according to these polls, even some of his his supporters, are beginning to see this. They used to just say, oh, he tweets, he's kind of a goofball and that, oh, what the heck. Now they're saying he's dangerous. Right. We got a real problem here. Yeah. The polls have shown, you've seen the polls in the last couple of days, right, Right. that his base, in fact. Right. uh, He tweeted a couple of days ago, my base is getting bigger and stronger every day. That's BS. Yeah. Total BS. And, you know, look, the, the the Republicans in Congress, they're looking to 2018. They're obviously looking to 2020. That front page story in the Times on Sunday about how folks are beginning to, to set up their own operations and go their own way, including the vice president who doth protest too much with a page and a half press release. <laughs> but they, these folks, you know, first of all, they're in meetings with him. They see an attention span, which is Zippo. They see judgment, which is disastrous. They're worried about this guy's psychological makeup. I mean, I'm just being blunt here. They, they really are very concerned. Then they are also worried about their own political skin. And they then finally, a lot of them are speaking out because they really care about the country. I mean, you know, Flake, Sass. I mean, they, they, these are folks who, are, who, who, who get it. And my sense of this is... There's a lot unsaid. In other words, they're going to go home in August now, and they're hearing from their constituents about this. They're hearing from their, their, their local Republicans, and they're saying to them, what's going on there? What in the hell is, is, is happening in Washington? And what can we do to stop this insanity? And this guy hasn't had a crisis. He's had, he's had the, the Obama economic, you know, Upturn. He, mm-hmm. you know, the country's d- doing fairly well economically. He hasn't had one big problem that right. he's really had to deal with. Heaven forbid that we have a crisis in this country with this guy at the helm. The other uh, aspect of this is what people around the world oh. see, right? Oh. I mean, a monumental embarrassment for Americans to have him as the face and the voice of America. I, I have had several people, uh, including a, a, a former uh, high-level uh, uh, elected uh, official in the United States who has been <laughs> apo- having to apologize around the world to 
uh, to to leaders are having to express to folks this isn't you know this isn't the way it's going to be. I'm sorry, this This isn't who we are. This is not America. You know, I mean, you know, there's one. You know, I'm not too happy with the with the Democrats' approach to some of this uh, with their sloganeering lately. But, uh, well, but I'm going to get to that. Yeah, somebody yeah. Uh, had a great one, and they, they, the New York Times had a little contest of what slogans, and one one was "Make Make America America Again." Mm. You know, I sort of thought, hmm, that makes sense to me. Um, so, so I think around the world, you know, the hope is that that a lot of them are saying, you know. Maybe this will be quick. Maybe we'll get back to, to, to regular order here. Maybe we'll have a, a series of, 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 of talks with, with, with the top foreign policy people in the United States. We'll say, look, look, I know he says this. I know he tweets this. But mm, we'll, we'll, we think we can keep it at bay. So it's been uh, r- roughly, right, um, 203 days, I believe. Wasn't Peter Monday was 200, wasn't it? Yeah, Monday was two hunch. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Two hundred three days. Did you think we'd last that long? <laughs> Jeez, I, <laughs> I, I know. I mean, this is the problem. I, you know, I we're, we were six months into this. I'm thinking of, you know, we got three and a half more years of this guy. Are you kidding me? And 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 and, and you know, some of these uh, advisors who folks think have a, have half a brain and half a sense of of normalcy and and history. Whether it's Mattis or, or McMaster, or what. I mean McMaster is the target of Breitbart and all the yeah. crazies yeah, right now. Yeah. And and do these guys say, look, I owe it to the country. Uh, you know, I think this guy, is, uh, you know, he, I have real questions about him, but I'm going to stick it out. I'm going to try to have some kind of influence on policy and, and dealing with with foreign leaders, or whether they just say, hey, I'm done. You know, I got to get out of here. This guy's too insane. And then who do you have? Then do you have a Flynn lookalike? I mean, please. I mean, can you imagine where we'd be if Michael <laughs> Flynn were the national security advisor for I the past six months? I don't get it why the um, wingers, and you're right, are really, there's a big story in the Daily Caller yesterday about, um, and Breitbart has been full bore yep. trying to get rid of McMaster. What's the beef with McMaster? The beef is that he has been very tough on the staff people there that they put in. He's, you know, he he's fired, fired actually, him, uh, right. several yeah. of them, yeah. and he's right. not let the other ones have who, who, are, who are off the wall get anywhere. And so what's happening These is— These are people that Bannon and, yes, and, and Miller— Right, and Steve the Heritage put, Foundation. Look, yeah. Nikki Haley just lost two that they put into her operation. Her chief of staff and communications director just left. You know, these are sort of Heritage uh, Foundation Bannon-type people. And, you know, I think that what's, what's happening is there is a battle royal within— uh, w- within the national security crowd, and so that's why that's that's part of it. And I think they think he's just you know he's quote too moderate or something. I mean I don't know what I mean. These guys are pros for crying out loud. These aren't ideological yeah. people. I mean if there's one thing, Bill, you know you and I are have been in this as you say so long. I'm <laughs> tired of the ideological straitjackets. I mean I want to have people that have real strong beliefs and argue it out and and fight the good fight. But I'm tired of people who come in and they can't do anything because they can't get along and work with other people. This is not what the what the I mean, American there, wants. There, there, there's nothing wrong with the idea. The politics is the art of the possible. Right. And right. And the way you get things done is 
there's uh, it, a certain level of pragmatism, yeah, right, and yeah. reality, yeah, and 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 that's how you accomplish things. Not right. not if you are always in your ideological tower and uh, a bully. And I mean, a bully. and a bully. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what what bullies have, have we dealt with on so, either side of the aisle that we've got? You roll your eyes and go, oh, no. So with this out-of-control missile, does that make the situation with North Korea particularly dangerous today? Well, I think so because, I, you know, my, my I mean, problem let's with face the, it. You've got two hotheads, right? Right. One over there and one here. Right. I mean, I've made the argument before. I think they're one and the same person, well, I, starting I, I, with their haircut. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> Maybe he can cut his real short on the and side. And then their daddy. You know, neither uh, one would be where they are no, if it weren't no, for their no, daddy. No, I mean, no. they both have real serious daddy no, problems. No, I think, I, no, no. I think they're and And, yeah, and so, I, the question is— But in terms of Trump he, being, as all the things you said about him, now here he is with this major foreign policy crisis. Could well, he really do something crazy? He, look. I mean, there has been for a long time a debate about a preemptive strike yes. in North Korea. This is a new discussion. Mm -hmm. And when 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 uh, President Obama had a sit down, long sit down uh, with with uh, Trump after the election, one of the things he talked to him a great deal about was North Korea and the problem and how delicate it was and how difficult it was and what they were up to uh, in terms of their nuclear program. And and he took the wrong lessons from that. I mean, he took the—and the, and it's interesting because if you go back to an interview that he had uh, with Tim Russert but way oh, before Russert that. died, it's yes. fascinating because it was this— you know, oh, we're going to take him out. Oh, we can do whatever we want. Oh, we're tough guys. You know, it it isn't like that he sort of changed his basic philosophy on this kind of stuff, even though the information, you know, that comes at him. But, you know, the guy doesn't know history. He hasn't read the guns of August of why World War I started. He hasn't read a, a true history of the Cuban Missile Crisis. He hasn't listened to, to, as I was saying before, Eisenhower on how to deal with these kinds of things. And so his only, his only way of dealing uh, with a problem like this is 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 as a as a bombastic bully, and that you know, and, and some people might roll their eyes and say, "Oh, that's Trumpy and Trump," but not Kim Jong Un. I mean, he's going okay. We'll send a missile towards Guam. Okay, you know, we can get one to reach L.A. Good deal. We'll 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 try it. Yeah. I mean, I, I you know, I wouldn't put anything by these guys. And then you bring China in, and the Japanese and the South Koreans are sitting there. You know, if they want to go, you know, with their conventional weapons, they can, you know, they can attack South Korea. Then you have a complete, you know, as close to a World War III as, as, as we could imagine. So, you know, this isn't fooling around. And, and, and to use language like that and to, and, and to tweet the way he tweeted, oh, yeah, we've done great things with a nuclear arsenal in the last six months. You don't know. That's another BS. That's a lot. The guy can't tell the truth. He can't tell the truth about what kind of underwear he wears. I mean, I can't tell the oh, truth no. about Silk. anything. Yeah, I'm sure. Made in be. China. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Peter Fed here, Democratic strategist. Jordan Fabian from The Hill, covering the White House for The Hill, joins us uh, in about 10 minutes here on the, uh, on the Bill Press Show. Well, uh, Peter... Everything's going to be okay, right? Because Democrats have a better deal. <laughs> I will tell you, when they first sort of leaked that out, put it out, I made some calls around, and I said, am I crazy? 
or is this one of the dumbest slogans that, that and they said, look, you know, the, the parties that be, and I hate to criticize him because I think he's a great guy and he's doing a lot of good and I, I respect him terrifically. But this came out of Chuck Schumer's head. And Chuck Schumer thought, you know, oh, deal. Okay, we're gonna, it's going to be like the art of the deal. We're going to make fun of his right. art of the deal. Oh, it's going to be like the new deal and the fair deal. We're going to bring, bring that back. And, 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 and it, you know, you could make an intellectual argument for this, Bill, but it, 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 it doesn't resonate with people. And people don't want a deal. That's not what they want. And a better deal means what? It's wimpy. It's, 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 it's just, you know, it doesn't make any sense. Um, you know, something like, same, go ahead. Ahead. I was going to say something like, you know, bringing opportunity back to the American dream. I mean, give them something that they can really grab onto. I'm not saying that's it. I'm not, a, you know, but, 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 you know, do something where you're really saying to people, we're fighting these guys. We're going to take it to them. And, you know, for the last 40 years, since, you know, even Jimmy Carter started, we have backed off the the importance of good governmental programs. We've backed off, you know, what what Washington can do and state capitals can do and what people can do if they if they if they if they devote themselves to to to, uh, to politics in the right way. We we you know we we let Ronald Reagan roll us. We even you know we let the Bushes roll us. We've let and and you know it's it's about time I think that the Democrats stood up for 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 what works and what helps people. And, and, and we've, we've just been, we've been wimpy. We have really been wimpy. At the same time, right, uh, wouldn't you agree that for Democrats to come back, it's not enough just to continue to talk about Donald Trump and how bad he is? Uh, absolutely. Right? I mean, absolutely. Democrats do need a absolutely. program. Here's Ab- who we are. Here's who we're going to fight for. Here's what we're fighting for. A- absolutely. Absolutely. And, and some of the things may not be completely politically <laughs> popular right now with the majority of people. Don't poll test everything. You know, when you have George Will telling you that, look, the way we're headed is single payer. <laughs> same way Bernie's talking about it. Same way a lot of it. Everybody now who's beginning to study this says, you know, you can tinker around. You can screw around with this system. But, you know, we have to join every industrialized nation of the world and, and make this a right, not a privilege. You know, when we have a, a, a campaign system, a political system, where we allow these guys to put together their voter integrity commission, what a crock. We need more people voting, not less. You know, this business of intimidating, you know, uh, poor people and blacks and Hispanics and immigrants, you know, and, and what, you know, this is not this is not America. This isn't what we stand for. So, I mean, I think we can fight back, and I think we can have a, you know, we should have specific proposals. I mean, when we did this way back, you know, you remember it, you know, in, 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 with Reagan, we said the Republican record, the Democratic response. And we had on every single issue and gave it to every candidate across the country in June of 1982, way, way back, you know, these specific things mm-hmm. to run on. We need that. And we should have a, a, a mini convention next June with precisely that for our Democratic candidates. I mean, and it should go across the gamut of, of the issues. So you think uh, a 2018, uh, a mid midterm convention? I, 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 have I we ever do. had that before? We had it in 82. We had several of them that didn't work out so well because we had presidential candidates wanting to, to, to yeah, train right. around. But, 
You know, and, and there's an argument that this could be divisive. But you know something? If we can't get our act together, if we can't I mean, figure out what we stand for and, and yeah. have these kinds of fights, you know, internally and then come out uh, and say, mm. OK, here's where we're going, well, then, 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 you know, to heck with us. I, 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 just I hadn't heard that, about that idea, but uh, that uh, I think that, I mean, my initial reaction is that would be great. I'm not sure. Is the DNC working on that or I anybody I, talking I, I, about I don't know. I think they're afraid. They're afraid because they think they're going to have different wings of the party uh, arguing and fighting. And, uh, and, and you know, there are things we can agree on. There can things we, you know. Okay. But in so, 82, you had the same thing. But, you know, we won 26 House seats in 1982 after the mini convention. We did pretty darn well around the country, you know, in, in mm-hmm. state legislative races. And that's, you know, that's where we really got to win this, Bill. If we, you know, 15 governorships we have, 15, 15. come on. I know. Yeah. But, I, you know, one of the problems I think right now is people are angry at both parties. I mean, I'm seeing a lot of folks who, who really want some kind of independent, uh, pragmatic, uh, candidacy out there that, that that galvanizes their enthusiasm and yeah. And, By uh, the way, on that one point, I mentioned this earlier, but in case you weren't tuned in earlier, um, this is just one little victory, but it's it's a, a great sign, I think, uh, of what the Democrats need to do and, in some sense, are already doing. Is that yesterday a guy named Phil Miller uh, out in Iowa, Iowa's I House uh, District Number Eighty Two, State House, a uh, State House, one. As this is a special election, uh, DNC was involved. The, the vet- Party veterinarian, was involved. right? This is the veterinarian. I don't know. Is he a veterinarian? Yeah. yeah. But anyhow, he won um, by 700 votes in a House district. There are only eight, about 8,000 votes cast, right? Yeah. So this, this yeah. is. But these are important, and these Absolutely. add up oh, to yeah, reapportionment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is a district, a House district. Um, state house district that Donald Trump won by over twenty points. Yeah, there you go. And the Democrat yeah, came in and won it. Yeah. And they yeah. target it. Democrats yeah. target it yeah. and won. And yeah. you know there have been some other. I'm trying uh, to keep track of all in Delaware, up in right. New York. There have been right. a couple, and so that's a level that they really. It's the old Carl Rove red it, map strategy. You've got to do this, and 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 we have been very bad about about that that local level strategy. But you know we had. <laughs> Two-thirds of the state legislatures in 2009. Now we have 65 out of 95, yeah, I think, right. or 90 or something. I mean, they, I have, they have two-thirds of the state legislators yeah, now. Yeah, I mean, yeah. this has been a total turnaround. Lost we, nine, we can bring them back. Lost 950-plus uh, under President Obama. Right. Not good. House yeah, or state Senate. House, state, state House or State, state Senate, Senate seats yeah. that flip. Right. Republican, a right. Democrat to to right. to Republican. And what people so, forget is that, and I don't know where this Wisconsin lawsuit is coming, where they're where they've really they're, they're going and they're saying, look, this is so political. They're gerrymandering these districts for one reason, one reason only, and that is to elect them. And whether this 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 gets thrown, these gerrymandered districts get thrown out. I I'm not, I don't hold out a lot of hope for it, but. You know, and I'm all for fair, you know, uh, fair maps like Iowa and like other places where they where they're pretty good about it. But you know, unless we get to that, you know, we've got to fight fire with fire. I mean, we yeah. got to win these. Most races. states is still unlike California has changed now, but most states is still the state legislature and the right. governor that right. determine this. Okay, so this is no secret anymore. If uh, everybody who's read Shattered. Uh, John Allen was in yesterday, and oh, Amy yeah. Parnes, their book about the uh, Clinton campaign, knows that uh, from one of the early chapters there that the Bernie Sanders campaign was launched in uh, my living room, our living room, Carol and I, just about a block from here on Capitol Hill, uh, at a dinner party, a dinner meeting where 
Peter Fenn was one of the uh, not, not like, the cats yeah. out of the bag already and yeah. shattered. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you were there, not endorsing Bernie, but just no. giving your ideas, right? right. Uh, right. So, the beef stroganoff was delicious, by the way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Carol did a great job. I the Bourguignon, please. Uh, so, uh, so the question is, uh, what does Bernie do in 2020? Yeah, I mean, I, look, I think Bernie is a great voice for our party. I think he's a, he, he, the enthusiasm that he generated, Bill, way beyond what the folks in that room thought was Whoa, possible, not only in terms— right of the size of the rallies, yeah. but the amount of money that, that, that was raised for that campaign. And a, a, as you know, I, I, I didn't, you know, I wasn't an endorser. I, I was very concerned about, about his ability at the end of the day to win a general election. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, little did I predict uh, the way it would <laughs> turn out, and none of us did. But, but um, you know, I, I, I think the, the fact that, that, look, there have been in our party, folks who have, I would call them, um, kind of shooting stars, and they they they'll peter out and they'll 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 quit the game. Eugene McCarthy was was our our guy before Bobby Kennedy got in '68. His young kids, and and then he just he flamed out and 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 left it. Oh. I, and 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 you know it's. Are you I saying think Bernie Sanders is a shooting no, star? No, I'm saying he's staying in. And he should be a, a force in, 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 in this party, and, and, and he should be out there fighting with everybody else. And he's accepted that way, I think, by, by the, even though you don't, if they don't agree with him on something, that's fine. But the fact is that, you know, that this is what we need uh, in our party is, uh, is more uh, enthusiasm, not less. You know, His more schedule fighters. today is almost as um, jammed with campaign events, supporting candidates, helping raise money for candidates, progressive right. candidates around the country, yeah. as it was during the campaign. Yeah. I mean, he has not slowed down. Yeah. And, and and I think that's remarkable, <laughs> and I think that's laudable, and I'm just happy as a clam about it. Yeah. Go, Bernie. Go, <laughs> go Bernie. Yeah. Let's see what happens. See what happens in 2020. We've been laughing here that when you look at the, uh, at the field in 2020, the Democratic Party may look like the Republican Party. Last time, we may have to have a JV, JV debate and a, <laughs> and, and a varsity debate. <laughs> Listen, I tell you, there everybody are, thinks they're going to run for president. I know there are a lot of you people know when, out when there. we've got uh, Congressman Delaney from Maryland yes, here. He's already a declared, a declared candidate, and, if, and you know, uh, Eric like, Swalwell what? and Tim Ryan, our friend Tim Ryan, have yeah. been uh, already out in in Iowa, and yeah, uh, yeah it's good. So. Uh, Why not? Yeah, so let's take another look back at uh, the Trump administration. Boy, and all the stuff coming out this week from Bedminster, New Jersey, where Jordan Hill, uh, Jordan Fabian, rather, from the Hill, has been hanging out. Tell us all about all those great accommodations they have for the press corps uh, up at the uh, northern Trump White House. We'll be right back. Hey, you bet it is. Uh, Here we are on a Thursday, August 10. Hello, hello, hello from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., in our studio on Capitol Hill, just down the street from the United States Capitol building. Booming out to you nationwide, coast to coast, on Free Speech TV, on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, and on uh, WCPT out in the greater Chicago area. Brought to you today by the United Steelworkers and their international president, uh, Leo Gerard, President Leo Gerard, uh, leading the steelworkers, North America's largest industrial union, representing over 1.2 million active and retired members. Peter Fenn here with us. 
uh, head of the Fen Communications Group, as uh, a friend of Bill for the entire hour. Peter, always good to have you around. Good to be here. And the problems that we haven't yet solved in this hour will now be solved. <laughs> Uh, with the addition of uh, Jordan Fabian no pressure, at the no table. Pressure. Uh, no pressure, that's right. Uh, who covers the White House uh, for the Hill. Uh, it's either the White House or Mar-a-Lago or Bedminster, New Jersey. How <laughs> is northern New Jersey? You've been up there, I know. We've been reading your pool reports from New Jersey. Beautiful, beautiful Bedminster, New Jersey. Well, How close do you get to the uh, Bedminster uh, golf, uh, golf club? So they put the press up and also a few aides about 12 miles away at a hotel in... Bridgewater, New Jersey, which is oh. a uh, wonderful land of strip malls and shopping malls and chain restaurants. <laughs> that's it's great. New, but that's New Jersey. Yeah, it's great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's a, it really is New Jersey. It really is. Um, I, I took a drive by the, the club, and it was really quiet. I mean, it's really secluded and set off from the street, and you know, it's on like 600 acres, so he's like really deep into the property where he stays. Um, quiet so far when I was there. Obviously, they had that event when he, he had the North Korea. Oh, yeah, we'll get to that. Uh, right. But, um, you know, it, it's really interesting because they're not, you know, they're insisting this is a working vacation and they're insisting that, you know, he's, he's really working a lot. But the White House has been reluctant to tell us exactly what he's up to every day and also give the press an, a sense of, you know, where does he work? Where does he take calls? These are things that I know President Bush did when he was down at his Crawford ranch. He let the, the press onto the property and show him around. Mm-hmm. And it, it was a brilliant PR move because it kind of, you know, whether he was doing work or not, you sort of at least got a sense of where he was and, you know, where he might do some work. And the White House was was giving more details about what he was doing. And this this White House is much different. Is, so you don't get a daily schedule, uh, hour by hour, of what's going on. Not at all, no. And and he's not out there clearing brush uh, like <laughs> Bush did in Crawford. Huh? Right. right. We, we do get the Instagram photos of him on the golf course with his uh, club members. But he's not right. playing. Have they admitted yet that he actually plays golf on any given day? No. Not even on the weekend. And, uh, and again, this is a thing, you know, when, when Obama went out to golf, for the vast majority of the time, they would tell you he was golfing. Yeah. They would tell you who he was golfing with. Right. And even and sometimes, if he, if he was on vacation, I remember when he played with Larry David, they let the press onto the green, you know, snap yeah. a few photos and then get out of there. But, uh, you know, they're not really, uh, you know, for a president who's so image conscious, they're not really doing a good job of controlling the image of this vacation. What is What is it about they're just refusing to admit that either he's on vacation, I mean, what's wrong with taking a vacation, right? I mean... Every every president has, right, wherever they happen to go. We always wondered why George Bush went to vacation in Crawford, Texas, but that's his choice. Fine. But so why not admit that he's, A, on vacation, or B, why not admit, and this is not just on vacation, you know, all these other weekends when he goes out to Sterling, Virginia, that he's playing golf. Well, it, uh, yeah, and I, I agree. so critical of Obama? I, I got to think that's the reason. I mean, I, I, I've never really gotten a clear answer from anyone over there about why they're so or they're not forthcoming about this, but I got to believe it's because he was so critical of, of President Obama for playing golf too much, for going on vacation, for spending taxpayer dollars on vacations. But look, the reality is all presidents, like all of us, deserve a vacation. It's a very stressful job, yeah. and yeah. you know they need to recharge the batteries. And for somebody who's had such a tumultuous six months in the White House, it might even be even more important for him to get away from it all and, and clear his head. It's just so strange. And nobody believes that. Everybody knows he is. Playing. Well, and so. he tweets. He said, I'm not on vacation. I'm working. I have phone calls, meetings, blah, blah, blah. And everybody knows it's crap. 
I mean, you know, it just and and you know, it adds to that image, I think, of of an administration and a president who doesn't tell the truth about things. Who you know, who he's one big cover up after another. And if you can't even tell the truth about when you're on the golf course, I mean, come on. Yeah. So, um, in fact, on that point, uh, CNN had a poll earlier this week that seventy three percent of the American people say they do not believe what they hear from the White House. That's pretty telling. Yeah. And look, there's so many examples that you can point to. I mean, think about let's Sean just, Spicer doing the uh, the, the crowd size rant say, let's on the start first with day. The size of the inauguration, right? Day, yeah. yeah, right. So this is an administration from the first day in office has sort of torched its credibility, and now we're seeing now with this North Korea situation, you need the the president's words to mean something and to carry weight and to have credibility. And when you don't have that, it it could be a problem for. For president, regardless, you know. Well, let's pick up there because this is uh, two days ago now. Uh, when uh, around the conference table with uh, Tom Price, Melania is there, Jared Kushner is there, Kellyanne Conway, they're hearing this report on the opioid crisis, and of course, the president of North Korea comes up, uh, and uh, Donald Trump firing from the lip here. North Korea best not make any more threats to the United States. They will be met with fire and fury like the world has never seen. So we're, how much uh, deliberation went into this uh, uh, and planning went into this statement on North Korea? So, so we're told that he was speaking with his aides and advisors before this, and they sort of knew the tone of what he was going to say. But the exact words uh, were imp- improvised by the president, basically, yeah. that he, he sort of made this up on the fly. So... Uh, you know that's interesting. It's gotten a lot of attention in Are days. We supposed and, to be com- yeah, yeah, comforted. Well, by a, 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 are we comforted by? It, but do we believe it? I mean, that's the other thing. Is this now yeah. a, a revisionist uh, approach to this? The video of him, he's looking down. I mean, it seems to me that he's got those words. They're planned. He repeated them twice. This isn't something that he just like. You know, came out with uh, uh, on the fly. I mean, that's that. Right. I was actually going to mention that because we have the second uh, part of what he says because he follows up and he really deliberately wanted to say fire and fury. He has been very threatening uh, beyond a normal statement. And as I said, they will be met with fire, fury, and frankly, power, the likes of which this world has never seen. Before, so what's your read? I mean, you weren't there at that time, but well, look, I, I think his his body language was really telling. I, you know, his arms were folded; he was kind of hunched down, like you said, glancing down at his paper. I, I do think this is weighing on him a lot, and I think he's frustrated very much so with the situation that's going on with North Korea. You know, he he, th- he thought he got a big win at the United Nations Security Council with the sanctions vote, and then this report comes out about their warhead capabilities and i think he was very frustrated by that very angry and that's why you saw the statement that he made uh i i do think that a little too much stock is being put into this did he improvise it um was he actually threatening nuclear war i mean because if you can go back you can look at statements made by president obama president clinton i mean president clinton 1994 warned that north korea's wouldn't even have a country anymore if they developed nuclear weapons because you know we would just flatten them with nuclear weapons so uh in some ways it, we're in uncharted territories because this is donald trump and he's never had office before you, you know if you ask yourself would he launch a nuclear weapon against north korea you couldn't rule it out 
and I think with other presidents you probably could. Uh, but in right. but in other ways, in other yeah. ways, this is not so different from what we've seen in the past. You know, uh, I was thinking about this yesterday. This is not a new problem, right? No. I mean, we've been dealing with North Korea. That problem has bedeviled American presidents since certainly since Clinton, maybe before. Mm-hmm. And the fact is, everybody has made the same statement. Basically, we're not. The, ne- I remember Obama saying they're never going to develop a nuclear weapon under my watch, right? And and Donald Trump saying they'll never develop a missile that can hit the United States under my watch. And and every North Korea has right. has just kept rolling on this track. I mean, I think we have to accept the reality today that North Korea is a nuclear power. Yeah, and the farther they get along, the the more limited the United States options are for yeah. for stopping it. Uh, so that's that's going to be a, that's going to be a really difficult problem for this president to deal with, especially because he set a red line where you know you had H.R. McMaster go out and and do an interview last week where he said. Uh, if North Korea has a nuclear weapon that can threaten the United States, that is a intolerable position for this president. So now it appears they have one. they might already have that. So th- th- it's th- their options are being limited more and more as this goes they on. They certainly have the missile that can get here. There's still a little question of the experts disagree on whether that <laughs> can missile act- can actually get in the cone and and get here, you know, without burning up and everything. But if they're not there, they're within they're a year close, of being right. there, right? So. Uh, the other thing, uh, Jordan, is, and Peter, the administration, so we we heard what Donald Trump said. Defense Secretary Mattis yesterday basically echoed the same thing and said, boy, if North Korea, we're just, if you, if you, if you try anything, I'm paraphrasing, of course, you're going to be wiped out. Your regime's going to be wiped out. And then, then you got Rex Tillerson who says, I haven't seen anything, nothing has changed over the last 24 hours as far as I can see, and Americans should just sleep well at night because everything's going to be okay. So... Why aren't they singing, or are they? What's going on with this mixed message? How do you- yeah, so the the people I talk to, they sort of paint it as they're they're trying to do this good cop bad cop act, right? But I, I my read is that that was kind of developed after the fact, after the president came out and made this very intense, provocative statement about Kim Jong Un. So they kind of had to almost clean it up afterwards. But look, it's a problem. I mean, we've seen mixed messages in North Korea from this administration from the get-go, where you have Rex Tillerson saying, we can do talks, let's have talks, mm-hmm. and the president, and and sometimes James Mattis using more bellicose language. And it's a problem because, you know, again, if you want the president's words to have weight, I think you need to be speaking with one voice. I and mean, we, we heard the... The State Department spokeswoman say that yesterday. She said that we're, we're speaking all... with one voice, but it's no, not real. No. That's definitely not the case. No, not... and, and and you know the really really unfortunate thing here is you have a fifteen zero vote with the Chinese and oh. the Russians supporting it. You have By a the situation way, which was a real coup. Which for was, the White exactly. House, right? I mean, yeah. I I think that what you do is you play on that success. You say the world is united against this we you know we, we're going to work together now to take the next steps to bring them to the negotiating table they would like to see sh- sanctions reduced they would like to be a, a more a part of the international community if so then they've got to act like it and 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 you you know I, I mean I don't know whether it was heavily Nikki Haley I don't know who the folks were that were in there working the the UN vote on that but they did to be honest they did a damn good job yeah and they should have you know they should instead of 
throwing gasoline on on on, on the con, con, on fire really is what they end up doing. No, I thought getting that through the Security Council with no veto from Russia, no veto from China is a real huge right. success, yeah. right? Yeah, and they, you're right; they could have uh, could have built on that. On a re, uh, non-related issue, but another issue, a White House <laughs> issue, uh, Jordan. Um, the, the, Paul Manafort um, got a little un- some unexpected visitors uh, <laughs> uh, last week at his house in Alexandria, Virginia. Pre-dawn visit by the uh, FBI. What's this? T- what's that tell us about the Russian investigation? It, it tells us that Special Counsel Mueller is using some aggressive tactics to do, to carry this out, and that you know they have really good suspicion or evidence that Manafort. Is committed a crime. I mean, that's you need a warrant from a judge to do a, a pre-dawn unannounced raid. So you have to demonstrate to that judge that you have probable cause that a crime was committed. So they, it sounds like they have some things on Manafort. It sounds like they were concerned that he was going to maybe destroy documents or not produce documents that they had requested. And it, I think it also tells you that they are trying to pressure him in a way that he might give up things that he knows about other people in, in Trump's orbit. because Turn state's evidence? Yeah. I mean, because w- I mean, why else yeah. would he do an, a, a, a pre-dawn raid on somebody's house? I mean, that's you're trying to lean on them for something, and I think that's one possibility. I hadn't thought of it that way. But yeah, because they could have just said, hey, we, got, we want certain documents. Would you come over at our office around 10 o'clock this morning and bring those documents with you? No, no, no. They show up unannounced, bang on the door. Right. We got the subpoena. We're coming in, and they seize the stuff. Yeah, and, and according to the Washington Post reporting, a lot of the documents he had already produced to the Senate and House Intelligence Committees. So the the reason of he, we were afraid he was going to destroy things could be true, but also the we're going to pressure you for other reasons might but, be more true. Peter, it certainly shows that this uh, investigation is not winding down. No, and, you know, he's still hiring people. And hiring really good people, uh, you Mueller. know. My sense, yeah. yeah. I mean, my sense of this is that uh, Mueller wouldn't be doing this if he didn't think there was something there. He wouldn't get involved with it, nor would the people. You know, they're leaving million dollar salaries yeah. to to yeah. go to go be a part of this, and they don't think it's very very <coughs> important to do it. I, 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 the other yeah. point I think about this is, look, Donald Trump does not inspire loyalty. Amongst the folks around him, certainly in the political world, you know, there are a lot of these folks that were kicked out the door and Manafort being one of them. You know, Manafort was in a very comfortable situation in his life, making huge, huge amounts of money, purchasing multimillion dollar uh, New York condos. And his son-in-law was involved in these business practices. These guys, he didn't really need a lot of this other than the ego. So once he gets booted out the door, you know, he's a loyal guy. He keeps his mouth shut, you know, during the campaign and everything else. But, hey, you're going to go to prison. Your son-in-law is going to prison. Your, who else in your orbit, you know, is in danger of trouble. I mean, you're not, you're not going to clam up. I mean, you're not going to zip it. 
And they figure he's probably the, one of the most likely folks to do that. The other part of this that I think we needs more investigation is Roger Stone is a, a sleazebag from the First Order who was, you know, one of the original Nixon rat, whatever we'll call him on, not on the air, and 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 has been you know, unbelievable yeah. throughout all this. And they were partners uh, yeah. to start off. And, of course, uh, still I, is in I this forgot. orbit. Um, you know, it's about money and fame for Roger Stone. And these guys, I mean, my sense of it is that to save their skins, they do whatever they need to I do. I forgot about Roger Stone. So anyway, I don't know. I that's your about perception about the, about somebody but, like Manafort. We also, uh, Jordan, we heard this week that uh, – uh, I'm blanking on the, the name of the president's new lawyer because he fired the old guy. But um, it, it, that – Donald Trump reportedly, I think it's White House confirmed, has been sending little notes to Robert Mueller. So privately, this is a witch hunt, right? This is terrible. There's nothing here. And then privately sending little notes to Mueller saying, this one's, you know, I really appreciate the job you're doing. Yeah, it's interesting. Is White uh, House confirmed? Ty? Uh, no, John Dowd was the lawyer. John I mean, Dowd, yeah, okay. the president's own lawyer yeah. you know, yeah. said this to, to the USA to the USA Today, <laughs> or, you know, David Jackson, who's one of our buddies oh, in the yeah, briefing room, yeah. right? Um, look, I, I think this you you might see some parallels between what the president's doing here and and what he did with James Comey, right? Because in, in the beginning of the administration, he was making very friendly overtures to James Comey, inviting him over for dinner, you know, mm-hmm. at, sort of implying that oh, you're going to be loyal, and uh, and then he turned on him when he when he he didn't. Um, not, I'm not sure if this is what's going on here, but uh, there do seem to be a, a few similarities there between what he's doing with Comey and what he's now appears to be doing with with Robert Mueller. And are they still talking pardons at the White House? Not publicly, but I mean, yeah, you know, this is something that we yeah you know, we heard is being considered. I I wouldn't be surprised if he has considered it. I mean, if he, I'd be surprised if he hadn't considered it honestly about about pardons because. I think this is a president who will go to whatever length he can to defend himself and his family, and uh, you know I think he would use all the powers of the presidency to try to do that. Right. Um, so mm-hmm. I have to ask you about we have a new uh, I think since the last time you were in a new officially now new White House press secretary, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Right. How's she doing? Uh, I, I mean I think better than Sean Spicer. Uh, she's. She's, uh, you know, not she's combative, but she kind of wears it better. I think she, uh, she, she. I know she has a better relationship with reporters in the briefing room uh, than than Sean ever did. Um, but look, you know, th- there's always going to be a problem for any Trump spokesperson that any official explanation they put out is going to be put under question because of the credibility problem <laughs> we were talking about earlier, and the president's own pension for you know undermining his own message. So. Um, and look, I, I think you know, Sarah has been, you know, stylistically better, but as far as substance, giving us more answers, right, 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 sort of more of the same. Uh, is there uh, any word on the new communications direct uh, secretary? Or we're seeing all, all kinds of crazy names being thrown out there, right? Like Stephen yeah. Miller, and which I don't really put a lot of stock in. Uh, I, I mean, I think it's possible they don't hire anybody, and they just, you know, the president kind of. Well, does that as a side job? He is his own communications director, right? Yeah, he is right, and I'm not sure he wants anybody in that job. And I'm not sure that a, a experienced, seasoned Republican 
communications professional would want to work in that environment either. They don't want to be un- undermined and, and second-guessed at every step of the way. So you think you're going to have trouble. They, they're going to see what happened to, to Mike Dubke and, and Anthony Scaramucci. Obviously, <laughs> the Mooch was a little bit of a different story, right? <laughs> but still, they're going to look at that and say, I don't want any part of that. Now, uh, now, 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 now what about Kelly now in his role, being yeah, up in good, Bedminster? Good. What 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 do you think is is happening really happening there, and what what's the future look like with him? Well, I do think he's putting more uh, processes in place to mm-hmm. to get information or to sort of restrict flow. the flow of information to the president, and also limit the number of people who are going in and out of the Oval Office. Now, he hasn't really been in in power that long, and he obviously he's in Bedminster now, so the setup's a little different. So we'll see how it is. When he gets back. I mean, the one thing he doesn't seem to be doing, and I'm not sure if it's he's not trying to or just trying to and not succeeding, is you know, rating in the president's tweeting and the right. in, in the, the impulses that he has. Uh, no. you know, if he did improvise that he statement. tweeting right. early this morning right. against Mitch McConnell again. right. And, and look, I think for John Kelly, um, you, you got to pick the battles that you're going to win. So... Look, I think a lot of a lot of people would like to see Trump tweeting and all that stuff reined in, but he might just make the calculation that I'm never going to convince him, so it's I might as well try to stay on his good side and accomplish what I can without going and touching that third rail. It, it, it decide, as much as I'd like to do it, I mean, there's no way I'm going to be able to convince Trump to stop tweeting or be there in his bedroom, right, at 5 o'clock in the morning when he turns on TV and sees something he doesn't like and picks up his phone. Right. It's just, yeah, there's reasonable expectations and there's unreasonable expectations. I think it's an unreasonable expectation that, you know, Trump is just going to stop tweeting and all of a sudden become a normal president. Now, now, what do you think the Kelly-Bannon relationship is going to be like? Uh, I, I think there, you know, it, it, there's not so much tension there. They, they do have similar views on immigration and that sort of thing. And, you know, Bannon... I think it's a shrewd guy, and he knows that if he gets on Kelly's good side, that might be it for him. And he, I think, do think he wants yeah. to stay in the White House. Um, I mean, there's got to be right a little honeymoon period for Kelly now on the right. part of the White yeah. House staff, right? I mean, they all. Yeah, the, the one. So the one uh, sort of flashpoint I see here is is the situation which HR McMaster. And how Bannon and his allies seem to be we, going we after him, about that. right? Yeah. So and, and Kelly seems to be protecting McMaster and giving him the authority to fire some of these folks. So if that gets to a head, I see maybe some Kelly Bannon tensions there. But at the, at the moment, I think it's not. But Bannon's losing that battle. It seems, at least on the staff side, with the McMaster. Are there pol- yeah, are there policy differences here with McMaster? Is that or is it personality? Well, I, well, I think part of it's personality, but I mean, some of it's policy too. You know, Bannon, remember, is this populist nationalist guy who doesn't is not a big fan of overseas U.S. military interventions. And H.R. McMaster, you know, wants to add more troops in Afghanistan. I think wants a a more um, confrontational pose with North Korea, whereas Bannon sees the North Korea problem as more of a something uh, related to China. And I think he's more interested in the China dynamic there. So there are policy differences. So it goes beyond personality. But there there is an orchestrated campaign, certainly on the part of the right wing, now oh, yeah. to uh, to get rid of McMaster. Absolutely, yeah. uh, absolutely. You can you can see it every day. I don't know what. Uh, but Trump has come out and said he's doing. Hasn't he defended him? Yeah. It's, it's so the, the first night I got to Bedminster, we're we're uh, hanging out, and at eleven o'clock, <laughs> he, they put out a statement 
with with the president defending him. So oh. interesting timing there. At 11 p.m. on a Friday night. On a Friday night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Only the White House press corps, Jordan Fabian, would have been right there to right pick it up. It. Right. Well, that's because they the, were in, in the bar. Probably. In the bar <laughs> at, the, at the hotel in uh, Bridgewater, New Jersey. Oh, yes. Right. Exactly. Hi, right, Jordan. Great to see you. Thanks so much for coming in. You too. Thanks, Bill. Peter, always good to hang with you. Thank you, my Thanks friend. For okay. Me. You can follow Jordan at The Hill, of course, thehill.com. The rest of the day is this yours. Have is a good one. Bill see you tomorrow. Show. You know, it may be the biggest lie yet of the Donald Trump administration. Yesterday at the State Department, uh, spokesperson Heather Noert said, quote, whether it's the White House, the State Department, the Department of Defense, we are speaking with one voice. On North Korea. <laughs> Nothing could be further from the truth. The administration is speaking with at least two voices, maybe even three on North Korea. I mean, after Donald Trump's fiery remarks on Tuesday about fire and fury, Secretary of State uh, Rex Tillerson tried to interject a note of sanity. He said, quote, Nothing that I have seen and nothing that I know of would indicate that the situation has dramatically changed in the last 24 hours. And then he added that Americans should sleep well at night. That contrasts with what Defense Secretary James Mattis said. He told North Korea, quote, to cease any consideration of actions that would lead to the end of its regime and destruction of its people Mattis warned North Korea that it would, quote, lose any arms race or conflict it initiates. And Mattis, of course, was just echoing Donald Trump, who set the tone on Tuesday with his incendiary remarks, quote, North Korea best not make any more threats to the United States or they will be met with fire and fury like the world has never seen. Well, wouldn't it be nice to think that Rex Tillerson and his voice of reason would carry the day? <laughs> yeah, fat chance, because we know it's the president, not the secretary of state, who makes the final decision. And with hot-headed Donald Trump in charge, that is scary indeed. This is the Bill Press Show.